Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to another solo round of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Today, I wanted to do a throwback Thursday, if you will, and reshare an interview I did with my buddy Taylor Robbins on his Savage Strength podcast. So in this interview, I share a bunch of clinical pearls on how I work with clients to maximize results, and then we really talk a lot about the supplement industry, including some pretty uncommon knowledge as well as effic uh, in terms of the efficacy and testing procedures of supplementation, as well as the impetus and importance of taking a quality essential amino acid powder like our Complete Essentials. Um, obviously, I'm going to plug the Complete Essentials because that's our product and it's a great product. So I want you to check it out. But more specifically, we'll touch on what my number one Stranded Island supplement would be. How do we know what supplements are tested for efficacy and kind of what to look for when you're choosing products? Which supplements are the biggest waste of money? And this will likely surprise you. Uh, we talk about what are the best muscle building supplements. And then lastly is... I cover the importance of the essential amino acids and then obviously my Complete Essentials product. If you want to find out more about the Complete Essentials and how it can benefit you, just head over to bslnutritionshop.com or you can find it on Amazon by searching BSL Nutrition Complete Essentials and I'll have links down in the show notes below and read the awesome interviews or hey, just shoot me an email, ben at bslnutrition.com for any questions that you have about all things nutrition and supplementation, what you wanna hear on the podcast moving forward or if you have any inquiries about our workout product or my personalized coaching services. So with that said, I hope you guys enjoy the show. Benjamin, thanks for being on bro and uh, you know that we can chat and talk about stuff. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So why don't you uh, just give us a quick like background on who you are, how you got in the industry, and you know a little bit about you. Sure. Sure. So uh, I've been in the fitness, nutrition, supplement industry for about the last 15 years, and it really was a kind of a progression from starting in the fitness realm, starting strength and conditioning, and progressing my way through personal training, through physical therapy-based stuff. Uh, really, I've always been passionate about nutrition and then kind of uh, leveraging that into the supplement industry and kind of what it all started with was my own personal health problems. Uh, growing up, middle school, high school, I had a lot of digestive issues that the conventional medicine system couldn't really seem to help me with. It was kind of take these different medications. Most of them were acid blocking medications. And it was really the journey that I had to take to kind of figure out and heal my own uh, health problems that led me into this space. Of course, I've always been interested in health and fitness. I've always been inter interested in sports and played sports, and um, and so it was just it just naturally made sense to me. It just naturally clicked, right? And uh, and so I started studying. Um, I studied physical education undergrad. By the time I kind of figured out what I wanted to do, if you could say that. Um, I was out of college into grad school for exercise and wellness at Arizona State University, and I had the opportunity to do a lot of strength and conditioning and had some really great tutelage um, under some amazing mentors and colleagues at Arizona State University. Um, and so it was really just uh, thrown to the wolves in terms of kind of learning how to uh, coach, how to structure strength and conditioning programs, how to program design. Um, and so that was a phenomenal opportunity for me. And then from there is I kind of um, started my own personal training company. 
just put spend a lot of time in the trenches, right? Working with clients, learning what works, what doesn't work, um, anecdotally, trying to understand more research uh, as much as possible, and trying to marry those two is is I think that we have a lot of people in the industry that are very evidence based, which is great. I think we have a lot of people in the industry that are very um, uh, going against the grain in terms of uh, possibly aloof to the the evidence that is out there and saying, no, that can't possibly be the case. Here's what I know works from uh, my own empirical or my own anecdotal evidence. And uh, I've always tried to be kind of right in the middle. And so with that is as my interest in nutrition growed, as I started, continued to study through people like Charles Poliquin, through Paul Check, through various uh, different nutrition organizations, I decided to go back to school. So I got a master's degree in clinical nutrition from the University of Bridgeport. And um, that was, uh, I finished that up a couple years ago. And uh, that was kind of the impetus for me to really kind of take my business into the nutrition space. Uh, I stopped personal training. I started doing more online coaching, if you will, more nutritional consulting, started working with some teams. Um, and, uh, and then also started my own supplement company, which we can talk about in, in just a little bit. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of been the journey. So it's been fun. It's been interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, because like with your the the personal training stuff, uh, if we just jump to that for a second, you you also do like corporate wellness, right? Correct. Yeah. But, so, and what does that look like? So, <laughs> as uh, as is the nature of the fitness space, is we tend to have our hands in a lot of different areas. Yeah. Uh, and it's because it's a tough business. Like fitness is a tough business for 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 most practitioners. And uh, but it's also a you know it's a fun business to be in. And so I had the opportunity about eighteen months ago to partner up with a buddy, and we started a corporate wellness program for a company here in Phoenix. And so what we do with that is I basically you know we've taken everything that we've accumulated over the years of coaching with individual and group clients and leverage that into a corporate wellness program. And so we address all of the same things that we would address from a one-to-one -one approach, right, is we talk about uh, motivation, we talk about goal setting, we talk about nutrition, we talk about fitness, we talk about lifestyle, stress management, gut health, right, right. all of those things that are absolutely crucial. Um, and we just take more of a kind of wellness approach to it. And so we do that by implementing, um, we do various group classes per week, uh, strength-based group classes, because we understand the importance of strength training for a population. Um, and because most people have weight loss goals and the importance of strength training for weight loss, um, I'm sure a lot of that stuff that you address and, and your listeners are familiar with. Uh, we talk a lot about nutrition. We talk a lot about habit-based nutrition. We talk about lifestyle management, stress management, productivity, all of those things that are not only going to help these people get good health, weight loss, muscle building results, but it's also going to improve the culture and community and productivity within this, this organization. And that's really what they want to see at the end of the day is, yes, of course, they want their employees to be taken care of from a you know, weight loss standpoint. And that may be what the employee 
is is on the top of the employee's mind in terms of motivation, but but the higher ups are really looking for an ROI in terms of how is this contributing to their day to day function? Is it reducing absenteeism? Is it improving productivity? Is right. it improving improving community and culture within the environment? And all of those things that we're seeing. And so, it's been a really cool opportunity. It's been a really great learning experience for me to have the opportunity to work with a a big company. Um, and figure out how to start to incentivize people uh, to be more active. Um, it's also been a huge eye-opener to actually be immersed. In, and I honestly, um, Taylor, I think this is the most interesting thing for me is, you know, for guys like us who have been passionate about health and fitness for so long, it's just sort of – it's just habitual for us to do certain things on a day-to-day basis. We eat generally very well. Right. We know how to meal prep. We know how to leverage our time and prioritize our time so that we eat well from meal to meal, right? So that we exercise every single day, uh, so that we have a positive mindset about certain aspects of our health and fitness, about our body image, all of those things. But to have the opportunity to immerse myself in a company culture where it really represents the average American population and seeing what these people experience on a day-to-day basis and getting a better better understanding really of, of how they structure their day, what they can be doing better, where they're sabotaged, whether it's by themselves, by coworkers, watching them go out to eat every single day and come back with shit food. You know, and then saying it's so hard for me to lose weight, watching them come in the gym and see what their work ethic looks like, seeing them walk out of the building um, and skipping their workout, seeing what their work productivity looks like or what their daily habits are around their their work uh, as it pertains to, you know, their total motivation and and seeing that carryovers. It makes perfect sense that. You know, they slack at work and they're slacking in the gym, which tells me perfectly that I know they're slacking with their nutrition or hearing, you know, specifically is hearing what their weekends look like from their coworkers. Oh, you know, so-and-so was shit-faced all weekend and then I meet with them on Monday. I just can't figure out why I can't lose weight. (laughs) But that's stuff that we wouldn't necessarily see. Um from a one-on-one coaching standpoint or have access to is you never know, you know, there's a lot of times that our clients are just bullshitting us and telling us what I want to hear. But when I can see it on a daily basis, it makes a lot more sense as to why we need to take some of the emphasis away from eat this, not that, and put it towards habit-based coaching, lifestyle-based coaching. Like here's the things that you need to do on a daily basis to help you improve your habits is here's the way you need to adjust your mindset so that you can plan effectively so that you have food prepared for you so that you can squeeze in that workout in your schedule so that you can get great results as opposed to where most people think oh it'll just take care of itself Right. right and they get home from a long day and they're like well, I was supposed to make something healthy, but fuck it. I'm just going to yeah. eat up a pizza. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's been a really cool opportunity. It's been a really good learning experience. And uh, yeah, so. Dude, that, that uh, you hit the nail on the head. I, that's so interesting because it really is like people say like, you know, I eat healthy and I go to the gym three days a week and, you know, I'm not seeing results. 
And it's like if you actually were, you know, a fly on the wall and followed them, they eating healthy for them is like, you know, choosing, uh, you know, like a, a whole grain bagel instead of a white bagel, and that's healthy. And it's and obviously within context, that's not very healthy for a lot of people. Or yeah. you know, their workout was they jumped on the treadmill for twenty minutes, and it's like. Well, that's going to be very different than if you did like, you know, a German volume training protocol of yeah. squats and a leg workout. You know what I mean? So it is like this people's habits are nowhere in line with what they're saying they want to accomplish and what their goals are. And Yeah. The, um, you know, the fitness is the big shiny object and it's oftentimes the motivator, but it's not the thing that's going to move them. It's not going to, it's not going to move the needle the most. Right. right. The most is their daily habits, their nutrition. And and so what we really work on is creating more awareness with people is understanding like, dude, your calories matter. So a whole whole grain bagel may be a much better decision for someone that's been doing, you know, um, a greasy, fatty breakfast sandwich and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and a frappuccino or something like that. Right. It's all right. It's all relative. But we're seeing now the volume that people are consuming on a daily basis. And I'll give you an, just a really quick example is we, we did a smoothie, a healthy smoothie day, a kind of meal replacement demonstration the other day. And it was interesting to see because what you and I understand is that when you make a smoothie and if we're going to do a meal replacement smoothie, we try and have protein, carbs, and fats such that it has everything that you would get in a meal. For example, you're going to have, uh, let's just say it's coconut milk. Um, fruit, maybe some, you throw in some nuts or some, some nut butter, you throw in some veggies like spinach or greens powder, and then you throw in some protein powder. And so we've got protein, carbs, and fats, but we also have a lot of calories. So yeah. you could easily have a 500 calorie meal replacement smoothie. Right. So we, we did this demonstration and it just so happened that it co coincided with a, uh, you know, they brought in breakfast for, for the company as well. So they had breakfast sandwiches and yogurts and fruit and stuff like that. And what we kept noticing is that people were getting not only a smoothie, but they were taking the smoothie. They were also getting a breakfast sandwich because it was free, likely, a breakfast sandwich and um, a yogurt and sitting down to eat and just helping them understand like, hey, guys, just because it's smoothie and just because it's seemingly healthy doesn't mean it doesn't have calories like right. you're consuming probably upwards of a thousand calories if you eat all that right now um, and not understanding that that's likely more than half of what your daily caloric needs are all at this one meal and it's just helping people understand stuff like that yeah. and so it, it's been very useful to be immersed in it which I think from a coaching standpoint we often don't get to see uh, and so, so there's been tremendous value there. Yeah. Um, I love it. Well, we can continue to spiral. No, down it's all good. At that point for sure. But, um, let's get to, let's get into the, the specific stuff here with the supplements. Yeah. The first point was basically how to triage supplement use and to know which ones you need and like you need now. Cause obviously uh, supplements because American culture is like quick fix, give me the magic pill, like they think that if they do certain supplements that all of a sudden they're going to start, you know, seeing the results that they want. So we obviously know that there's context of like we were saying, habit changes, nutritional changes, um, exercise changes, stress management, all those kind of things. But when it comes to the supplements, what would you say 
when people are triaging what is going to be most effective and you know the best use of their money and getting yeah. supplements, how would you navigate that? Yeah, it's it's super client dependent, but um, you know you got to factor in like what's their readiness for change, what's their motivation, what's their budget, and identify with with those things. So understanding like, hey, if they just dropped thousand bucks on a coaching package, and then you're you know you're wanting them to get another hundred dollars a month worth of supplements or two hundred dollars a month uh, worth of supplements, it may not it may be something that they're resistant to. Sure. Um, so identifying that, identifying their readiness for changes, again, with habit changes, we really want to focus on kind of one thing at a time. And so what are the what are the biggest needle movers? Is it just implementing a multivitamin, which can help get the ball rolling, help, you know, create some action steps that can help push momentum, in which case that could be huge in and of itself. Um, or is it a digestive enzyme or is it magnesium, whatever it is, sometimes just getting people taking something or, and adding before we remove is uh, a very positive step instead of saying, I want you to eliminate gluten, I want you to eliminate dairy, right. I want you to start exercising five days a week, I want you to start sleeping more. It's like, holy crap, this is a lot of stuff. I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to become more resistant and essentially I'm going to, you're yeah. going to lose me. So you have to work with the client really to, to get a better understanding of, of what they're ready to hear, in which case more often than not, it's like, yeah, let's start with something. So what are going to be the biggest needle movers, in which case typically what um, we found to be the most effective would be a digestive enzyme, um, something like magnesium, possibly something like a greens powder or a multivitamin and, and really a multivitamin, not necessarily that they're that effective, but really would be for an accountability tool, um, a motivational tool, an action step, right? Mm -hmm. To get them to start to feel better about what they're doing. Because we know once people implement one habit uh, successfully, they're going to be more likely to implement another habit and get that Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Do you get like, do you use, because yes, it's all about individualization. You know, some people don't need X, Y, and Z. But like, at least with my experience, I feel like, and I don't know if you guys look at blood labs <clears throat> or if you do like some sort of discovery uh, questionnaire to see if people are having, you know, like subclinical symptoms of, you know, gastrointestinal issues or, you know, fatigue and things like that, because that can be very um, telling of, you know, where someone's at with their health and if they need an adrenal support or if they need, you know, gut support or whatever it's going to be. Do you guys use any specific testing protocols then to, to bring in that individualization for people? Yeah, um, it depends. Again, depends yeah. on the client. Generally speaking, no. Generally speaking, uh, most people need digestive support. Right. They need magnesium. Right. They need more fruits and vegetables in their diet. They need to make sure they're hitting the protein goals. Um, they possibly need probiotics, um, you know, anything gut health related. So I think that there's a lot of things that we can address. And fuck, dude, you can make a case for giving people every single supplement based on 
you know, the ones that have research around them based right. on what their symptoms are. And so, like I said, we do try and start general and move to specific if and when they're ready. But if I was to, um, and, and there are certain situations, absolutely, depending on the severity of the symptoms um, and stuff like that. But uh, if I if I were to do that, typically I'll refer out to either hair mineral analysis testing to identify um, imbalances in, yeah. and nutrient deficiencies. Um, I'm a firm believer in that, and I have a great practitioner in Tucson who I use uh, to refer people to that who are having great results. Um, certainly blood work, but I, I don't find blood work being super valuable for identifying nutrient deficiencies, and that's simply because blood uh, the body does such a good job at maintaining homeostasis in the blood or maintaining the right balance of minerals uh, inside and outside of the cells in, in the blood that it, it's only far down the road of progression of disease that we would really be able to identify, at least as far as I'm aware, really be able to identify some some specific nutrient deficiencies. Um, so, and then yeah, we'll absolutely, you know, again, as I'll refer out, but we'll look at like adrenal testing, we'll look at digestive system testing, um, and specifically with the digestion would be looking for parasites and bacteria and pathogens and, and candida or yeast overgrowth and, and various things that are going to influence uh, negatively people's digestion, their inflammation levels, how it affects the adrenal glands. And therefore, how it's contributing to their energy, to their ability to lose weight, to their ability to effectively detoxify and eliminate and all of that kind of stuff. So it, it is something that we would look at, but it's really something that I try and avoid um, if possible, because I feel like 90% of the time we can get things accomplished just by focusing on those big things that, that we're discussing, those big needle movers. Right, totally. So what about um, like omega-3? What are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like for me, that would be like my uh, stranded island supplement, mm. you know, if I could just bring yep. one. I would definitely include omega-3s in the top five. Um, I think that number one would be digestive enzymes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know what stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really being able to like, look, if, if, if we're not breaking down, absorbing and assimilating the nutrients that we're consuming then what good is anything else? What right. good is the or organic or quality food that we're trying to consume if we're not actually breaking down and absorbing the amino acids, the vitamins and minerals and stuff like that? So I would start with for most people, uh, and we're seeing, a, we're seeing a, um, a prevalence of digestive issues in people. And one is the fact that we're all stressed out. Our, our food quality suffered tremendously in the last 50 to 100 years. Um, so there's not nearly as much nutritional value. There's not nearly as many of those enzymes that we need to help break down our food. Um, we're more inflamed, which means we use more protein on a daily basis to help recover and repair not only our joints, but especially for training consistently. We're, we're needing more protein on a consistent basis. If, we're, if we need protein uh, for our joints, our digestion of those proteins may be suffering. And so supporting all of those systems with both hydrochloric acid and then other digestive enzymes that are going to help support protein, carbs, and fat breakdown on down the road. Everything from the stomach down through the small and large intestine is incredibly important. And so that would easily be the first thing that I would start with. Um, 
And it's making sure, yeah, you're getting hydrochloric acid um, that your stomach normally produces. And not everyone needs it, but a lot of people do. Yeah. And it's a sign of that is a lot of people are hypochloritic or don't produce enough stomach acid. And a sign of that is that they're possibly burping up their foods or getting acid indigestion. And oftentimes we think or are told, you know, that it's um, too much stomach acid, which is in, as far as I understand, very rarely the case. More right. often than not, it's not enough stomach acid. Your body's, your stomach's not able to break down those, those proteins and, and your body wants to get them back up. And so supporting with, and that was, that was a lot of what was uh, my personal issue with my gut, um, with my stomach issues growing up was I was suffering from a bacterial infection called H. pylori. Mm. which is a nasty little bug that lives in the stomach um, that actually a large percentage or I think above 50% of the American population it suggested may be suffering with. One of the symptoms of H. pylori is extreme inflammation in the stomach, but it also can suppress HCL production, which normally wouldn't be a problem for a 16-year-old kid. But with the H. pylori, it seems like it significantly suppressed HCL to say nothing of the other food sensitivities that I was experiencing at the time. And so once I found that out, which wasn't until, so from the time I was like 15 or 16 until um, I started studying fun functional medicine with Dan Kalish uh, in 2006 or seven and started to do some lab testing for myself. Um, so a solid 10 years, I was struggling with that wow. and just trying to figure out that that led me into the field of alternative medicine, holistic nutrition, if you will, stuff like that. Yeah. So that's why I say a digestive enzyme can be immensely valuable for so many different people. Right. So supporting with that for sure. Um, and then, you know, I said, make sure, making sure you have the HCL, making sure that there's other um, what what we call kind of proteases, carbohydrate aces, um, things that end in ASE uh, as being enzymes that help break down protein, right. carbs, and fats are typically the lipases, uh, and and so usually there, there's some uh, good practitioner grade products that have the HCL that have the uh, pancreatic enzymes and um, the digestive enzymes that are going to help break down those protein, carbs, and fats uh, that are, are really beneficial for people. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Uh, yeah. Next to that, I would say magnesium, right? We know the value of magnesium and magnesium is one of those minerals uh, that we use in hundreds of, of biochemical reactions in the body, right? We use it for energy right. production, muscle recovery, and blood sugar maintenance, and cognitive function, and nervous system function, and cell signaling. Right. And uh, man, it, you know, the, the research goes on and on too about the stuff that's coming on, about the benefits of utilizing magnesium in all of its various forms, both orally and topically, and right. I could really go on and on about magnesium. So I would definitely say for the majority of the population, magnesium is something that's very beneficial. Um, what would you say is your favorite form of magnesium? Because there's different ones you can use for the different properties that they help with the different amino acid that's attached to it and how it's going to totally. help. What, what are some of your favorite ones that you like to, I guess, prescribe um, to people? I have found, and this is a lot of just by talking with other practitioners, is yeah, you can get fancy and start to play around with the, the, the more expensive versions. Um, 
the the magnesium three and eight that right. helps more with cognitive like transdermal stuff of that yeah yeah um well yeah the the three and eight specifically is amino acid that crosses the blood brain barrier so it can help right. with helping shut off the brain helping with sleep stuff like that but you know i'm kind of just like really practical about it um magnesium citrate seems to work very well magnesium glycinate yeah. uh seems to work very well some sort of combination again taylor it's like you know if we're going to make supplement recommendations for someone, what's something that they're willing to stick with for a year yeah. and that fits within their budget? Like I, I just, I've been down the road of let's throw protocol after protocol, hundreds of dollars a month or even a week at people for these supplements. And it may work a little bit, but in the grand scheme of things like, you know, it's, it's about focusing on all of the other things that we've talked about, right. nutrition, lifestyle, training consistently. And if they're not doing that, why the fuck are we wasting our time? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like, hey, you know, I found <laughs> let's find a reasonably priced magnesium that seems to be well absorbed. Yep. And dude, just stick with that. Right. And, and we can play around with the dosing and everyone's individual. So there's certain there's certain forms that may work better for some people, certain forms that may not. And, uh, you know, we, that's where we need to individualize it and communicate and help people understand that just because I told you to take it doesn't mean it's necessarily the right product for you. Just because I got great results with someone else for it doesn't mean it's going to work great with you. You may have a negative reaction to it. It may give you a migraine. It may give you a gastric distress, whatever right. it is. And so that's where we can start to play around with some of those forms. But yeah, a good chelated, um, a good chelated uh, magnesium, any of them, right. uh, any of them that are within someone's price range for sure. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, Okay, so I want to get into this one, number two, because I'm actually really interested about. This is like stuff that I'm not like well uh, informed on. But how how do you know like if a supplement company? Because obviously, the supplement industry is very deregulated. So, um, and I, I'm, my understanding is it's becoming more regulated. But uh, essentially, people can put together a product and put it out there for retail without really having too much testing or anything done. Um, yep. So like, how do you figure out if a, a company has done proper testing? What does that testing look like? How do you know if something's going to have efficacy when you buy a supplement from such and such a company that's actually, it is what it says it is and it's going to work like it says it's going to work? Totally. So it's not that the, the industry is deregulated. It actually is regulated. And the place that it's regulated is on the manufacturing um, and testing side of things. And so the Federal Trade Commission and the FDA regulate manufacturers heavily. Now, there's various certifications that we'll get into, but the important things to understand are, and I'm going to say generally speaking, the majority of supplements in the market are perfectly safe to take and that what the labels say are in the bottle are actually in the bottle. Now, yes, there's there's companies that unethically are going to uh, put in fillers. They're certainly going to make uh, make claims that are not necessarily true, and that's of all the supplement industry. But but let's be very clear, and I want people to understand that that 
you know, the FDA, what the FDA regulates is that you're not making health claims. So I can't say that my supplement helps cure cancer. Yeah. Okay. So they are going to be very adamant about ensuring that supplement companies cannot make health claims. And they're also going to ensure that and try and um, guarantee that what we say is on the bottle in the ingredient list is actually in the ingredient list in the amounts that um, says is in the ingredient list. And that's where they work and the Federal Trade Commission works with the manufacturers and tests the manufacturers to ensure that their testing processes, their purchase of raw materials, um, their purification processes are all in line with good manufacturing processes, mm -hmm. right? And so that's where we want to look at certain certifications for manufacturers that will put them above and beyond the rest. So one is good manufacturing processes, and that's basically saying that this manufacturer is taking all of the steps that's recognized as being the certification that, that the FDA and the certification requires for good manufacturing. They're testing for purity, quality, strength, um, longevity in terms of expiration of the product. They're right. testing for cleanliness of the equipment, ensuring that there's, if they make claims that there's no gluten, soy, dairy, corn, um, in any of those products, they're ensuring that all of these equipment is free of gluten, soy, dairy, corn, nuts, uh, all of that type of stuff. So it's, it's higher regulated than what people actually think. With that said, there's not there's nothing stopping someone, at least initially, from putting together some bottles of, you know, Testo Stack 3000 and putting shit in capsules and selling it on on eBay, right. you know, or trying to get it on Amazon, although Amazon is actually getting uh, fairly strict now as well. Huh. So the things that should, people should be looking for is, one, is certainly doing their diligence as to... What are the products that they're looking for? What are their goals? And then what sort of information and research specifically can they find about those ingredients that leads them to believe that it's actually going to be effective for them? And this is aside from the claims on the label. Just because the, the label says increase lean body mass, decrease body fat, um, increase energy, uh, you know, fat burner, really whatever. generic things, yeah. Super generic claims that any company can make and that they're going to make because, dude, there's marketing and the yeah. supplement is a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and you have to serve people's needs. That's what people are looking for, the magic bullet. So why wouldn't you, right. why wouldn't companies try and offer that? But at the end of the day, the majority of them are not necessarily supporting those claims. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, there is, uh, let's see, so there's NSF, uh, so manufacturers like, for my supplement company, we are um, NSF GMP, and, and NSF uh, stands for National Sanitation Federation, I believe. Um, there's an NSF certified for sport, but it's basically further certifying that whatever's um, whatever ingredients are listed on the bottle it's actually in the bottle in the amounts that they say and then the NSF certified for sport is making sure that there's no banned substances that would be used for right, right. For, for professional or Olympic level sports or high uh, or, or college 
call it NCAA, there's NCAA regulations, as well as to certain um, ingredients that people can and can't use. Because even in NCAA, they're not even allowed to have a certain caffeine amount, correct? If they go over in a certain amount of caffeine, they can get red flagged or whatever? Is that true? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I feel like it might be true. I know it's true for Olympic level. Yeah. Competition, um, at least I think it is. But that's a good question, I, and I'm not, I don't, I don't have an answer as far as the caffeine in. But it, you know, it's an example. Is that's why FDA banned ephedra. So right. FDA is going to come down on companies that one are having health-related um, complaints against them. Like all of these companies that were were providing fat burners with ephedra um, <laughs> and stimulant-like ingredients that were creating a massive toxic burden on the liver. Form matters, the potency matters, and that's where people need to kind of do their homework yeah. and not just listen to whatever the, the latest uh, YouTube video or Google article told them You know they should be taking because everyone has a vested interest in, in what they're promoting. I have a vested interest in promoting my essential amino acids. Right. Like, of, course, of course I have a biased opinion. Sure. You know? Um, yeah. So... Uh, you know, that's where people need to do their due diligence. It's just like they would, you know, it's just like they would research a car. Like how much time do people spend looking at the next car that they're going to buy and analyzing, you know, information and, and, but, but they're more than willing to just go out and buy the latest supplement because Dr. Oz said it's, you know, it's going to help them. It's going to be that magic pill. Right. Come on. Totally. And I, well, it, and this is kind of side tangent now, but like how, because I've used a lot of different supplements from different companies, like a lot, and I'm sure you have too. So, um, and you know, I'll plug them because I think they're a great supplement company, but like ATP Labs, for example, or Designs for Health, or like Thorn Research, and like, why, why is it, because I've taken supplements from other companies of like, you know, a creatine monohydrate. And, but then use one from Designs for Health and it, it seems to be so much more potent and works so much more effectively. How, is that something that happens on the, like the manufacturing side then of like the potency of what they're using can be different versus, you know, the manufacturing for this other supplement company, you know, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and I guess to answer your question is, you know, I guess, okay, so two things. One is the quality of the raw materials that these manufacturers are purchasing. That makes a huge difference. So here's where things can get interesting is it's important for companies to have a good relationship with their manufacturer. There's some shady shit with manufacturers in terms of, as a manufacturer, what I could feasibly do is, let's say you want to formulate a uh, you know, a vitamin C and a magnesium powder, just as an example. Yeah. Well, what and you say you want to use these specific ingredients. Well, what I could do is I could source those raw materials uh, from China and and then I could um, tell you that I'm using one form of vitamin C, but I actually ordered the cheaper form and that's what we're putting in your product. So it's important for those manufacturers. That's where some of the manufacturer certifications really come into play is right. ensuring that they're doing ethical business. Um, and then from a 
from the other end of things is the potency of ingredients absolutely matters. The quality of the raw materials matters to the degree that are we using a potency that's uh, shown to be effective, right? Is it a therapeutic dose? And and typically what most of these practitioner grade companies are doing is they're, they're putting together products that have all therapeutic doses. A lot of them are based on research in terms of what is the minimum effective dose that we should be using. I think some of them are starting to get more watered down as this practitioner supplement industry grows, right. but certainly a lot of them have their specific formulas that are, are very, very good as compared to. And here's the thing is it's the price of the raw materials, right? There's a reason as practitioners we're paying and therefore to our clients, they're paying top dollar. There's a reason why a uh, chelated magnesium product or an essential amino acid powder is going to be significantly more expensive than a product that you would get from GNC or high health. And it's one because of the quality of the ingredients um, and, and the potency of those formulations because What's the good of taking it if it doesn't even work? Right. Right? We want to know that what we're giving people is going to be effective and that it, that we see that it's effective, but it's also shown to be effective for whatever research exists on those said products, which for, for a lot of these herbal-based things, there is some, some very, very good research on them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Does that make sense? Totally, man. And w- would you agree with this? Like, <laughs> good rule of thumb is if a product is super like dirt cheap, that likely is probably not gonna work the way that you want it to. Yeah, I would say that's that's probably a fair assumption. Yeah. Is either, um, you know, either it's just a very low potency, it's shitty raw materials, uh, it's gonna be poorly absorbed, it has some fillers or binders in it that um, may inhibit absorption to some degree. Uh, it's cheaply made right. um, and therefore, it's likely going to be poorly, uh, yeah, poorly absorbed for sure. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into the next one here. Um, which one, which supplements, uh, and we don't have to say all of them, but what would you say are the big supplements that people use on a consistent basis that are just complete waste of time, that are just the stupidest thing that people can be taking? Um, definitely fat burners. Are, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's like this, what, what a like raspberry ketones and green tea extract for fat loss and um, Garcinia Cambogia, all these Dr. Oz BS supplements that there's no good valid research. You know, you know, I don't ever expect people to like when I say people need to do their homework, what, what I would suggest people do is when you're reading an article is, is, and someone makes a claim to suggest that raspberry ketones have been shown to be effective for fat loss in a six-week study, check the resource, check the reference, go down to, you know, whether whether there's a hyperlink right there or at the bottom of the article, click on the reference and actually read the um, excerpt, either, hopefully it links to a research study. Oftentimes, what people do is just it's an excerpt from people, another freaking blog or another article yeah. from someone else's blog, and then yeah. you have to go to theirs, and that's a lot of like what Mercola does that I've I found, and that's how I, lo- I learned a lot about the supplement industry and how I started to get into supplementation is because I've always been very analytical, and 
So when something tells me that this supplement works, that, that you need to take this, say, okay, well, you know, help me understand why, right? And is there research to support that? So I think it's, it's silly for, to expect anyone and even most coaches to go in and read research and to understand how to read research, but at the very least, try and identify the source of where this information is coming from. Right. Uh, and and that way you can see, you know, um, a great resource is examine.com. I was just going to say, people go to examine.com and just punch in whatever ingredient or supplement that they're looking for. So so I suggest people subscribe to examine.com. It's very evidence-based about supplementations, and they actually classify research uh, to the degree of effectiveness, whether it's, uh, you know, on a scale, A, B, C, D. Right. uh, And to suggest that, okay, you know, raspberry ketones have no evidence to uh, suggest that they're effective in fat loss. And then the other one would be uh, Linus Pauling Institute through university, uh, through Oregon State University. And that is a resource that I use quite a lot that breaks down individual uh, vitamins and minerals and herbs uh, into what they do, how they work, uh, you know, what's the, the physiology and biochemistry behind them? What sources do they come from? What's the recommended daily allowance? What's the uh, the the uh, upper limits of uh, intake that people should be avoiding? And uh, what research is around to support those claims? Yeah. So uh, that's a very yeah, handy resource, both of those to, uh, to look at. So I, I think that the whole fat loss supplement, like, you're wasting your time and money if you're looking for fat burner supplements. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, like I'm, there are very, very few instances where any of that stuff can be beneficial. Um, and I would say that, uh, you know, the only one of the the main ones that has a carryover to numerous areas in fitness and health would be caffeine. Yeah. Uh, in terms of stimulating metabolic output. Um, Otherwise, you right. know, don't bother. But even with caffeine, I feel like acutely, yeah, it's going to help uh, like in that moment or whatever. But the compounding effect of overusing it, you know, over a long period of time then starts to have a reverse effect, right? And it's starting to affect, it can. Um, you know, if someone's adrenal gland is so overworked and taxed from producing these catecholamines and things like that, that, you know... They, their DHA sulfate levels maybe can start to go down because all the raw materials are going towards making cortisol all the freaking time. Yep. Um, but yeah, sure. yeah, caffeine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's you know one of those factors that we need to individualize and say, you know, as an example, I'll give you an example of where caffeine was not effective. I had a client recently, and um, she was using a. She was using a caffeine stimulant pre-workout. Problem was she was working out at 3 p.m. And so she was using a caffeine kind of fat loss stimulant, a good product, um, so to speak, but bad timing for it. And so what she didn't realize was that it was was affecting her sleep. She couldn't shut that cortisol down before bed. So it prolonged her sleep. She was waking up groggy. So yeah, it was definitely affecting her adrenals. It was affecting her circadian rhythm, her cortisol rhythm, all of that stuff. So by moving that earlier in the day or, and or eliminating, we could make a significant difference. And so you've got it. 
people need to understand like it needs to be individualized. What are your unique needs and situation? And then how do these things fit in for you so that are you going to do it consistently and can you do it, you know, long term? Right. Totally, man. Um, I was going to say, I was going to bring it up. What are your thoughts on metformin? You know, to be fair, I have, I've been reading some stuff on metformin and I'm just not educated enough to really say how beneficial it is. I, there's some guys that I really respect in the industry that are, um, are really touting the benefits of metformin. And so right. I'm, I'm, I'm totally, uh, one to be like, show me, show me why. Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, just because it's a pharmaceutical drug way back when I would have said, fuck that, you know, right. <laughs> just be, because it's a pharma pharmaceutical, right. all of a sudden it's terrible for you. Right. And look, I, you know, I think that, uh, we've got to meet in the middle yeah. and help and, and understand that there's so many positive, positive things that the pharmaceutical industry can and has done for, for our society, yeah, I mean, there's a there's certainly an agenda, but you know, there's an agenda I'm, with everyone. Like everyone's trying exactly. to make money in business, so it's like even these exactly. people who make supplements, you you're doing exactly. it to make an impact and to make money. Like exactly, so there's nothing exactly. wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it seems like it can be a very effective drug for not only people that are type two diabetic for handling blood sugar, but also just as a, as a longevity tool, right. uh, as a blood sugar management tool for people in general. And, and that's the name of the game is yeah. we need to shift the focus away from, and this is something that I've started to really care a lot more about in these last few years. As I get older, I just turned 38 and it's so much more now as, as I've ditched the ego, it's so much more about, Hey, how can I feel good? Like long-term, how can I continue to train consistently, feel great, have good muscle definition, lean body mass, right. you know, uh, low levels of body fat and just be, you know, just feel great and, and have good blood numbers and live a, a really long, healthy life. Right. Uh, what do I need to do to do that as opposed to how can I lift the most? How can I get as lean as possible in 12 yeah. to 16 weeks? And, uh, you know, so that's where a lot of this longevity-based stuff comes in. Uh, right. And we're starting to learn a lot more about the types of things. And a lot of it seems to come down to blood sugar management yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's where that metformin can be extremely valuable. Right. Totally. I was just curious because I actually, I haven't been able to spend enough time researching it myself. So I was curious if you had done any of that or, uh, you know, dove into it yet. Um, well, uh, how much time do you have, man? Cause I don't, I want to be, uh, yeah, I got time for I got time for a few more. Let's, uh, because I want to make sure we have time to Ben to to talk about um, your supplement company and the EAAs because I I think they're really cool. So cool. Um, so uh, like a lot of people who you know, like listen to this podcast or that follow me or get coaching with me or whatever, um, a big prerogative is building muscle. Um, and you know, for, it's funny like because I'm only 28, so it's like of course I'm still in the mindset of like. I want to be so muscular when I walk into a room, people throw up, you know, like, and just, <laughs> you know, be massive. But, um, a lot of guys, obviously they want to have muscle. They, uh, they want to have, they want to be lean. 
um, you know, have the, the big arms and all that kind of stuff. What would you say, again, uh, I, I personally even don't think these are like the top of priority uh, in context of freaking sleep, water, you know, proper nutrition with macronutrients and all that kind of stuff. But that aside, um, you know, those factors aside, what supplements would you say are really beneficial with building muscle and that can be a part of someone's regime if they're highly focused on hypertrophy and, yeah. and building muscle. Yeah, cool. So assuming, right, they're training consistently, they've got the right training program, right. they are sleeping, they're managing stress, uh, then and only then should supplementation become a priority. And so first and foremost is they need to be hitting protein goals, right? Is So that's where whey protein, essential amino acids can come in. And at the end, uh, I'll go through a few of the supplements and then I'll talk about my product. Um, yeah. But specifically the essential amino acids and those are the building blocks of protein that people need to get from uh, their food. And those are the, you know, those are the, the proteins that our body can't manufacture. And there's nine essential amino acids, um, uh, that we have to get from animal proteins, uh, or at least that are the densest source of uh, essential amino acids. That's chicken, fish, beef, uh, pork, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so assuming we're getting, and there's, then there's another, there's about 20 ish, uh, uh, amino acids. There's, there's essential amino acids, there's non-essential amino acids, and there's conditionally essential amino acids. And those are all found in our foods to some degree, higher amounts of the essential amino acids uh, in our animal products, mm -hmm. uh, dairy products, uh, and then to some degree in uh, some plant-based proteins, but usually not in the optimal amounts. Right. But first and foremost, people have to be getting enough protein in, and that's where a good diet and then supplemental protein can come in. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would be certainly first and foremost. Uh, and second just, just with that, what are your thoughts? Uh, I like to tell people to rotate their like protein powders just so they don't, you know, create an intolerance to say whey or mm -hmm. you know to another one. So like, what are your thoughts on like? Do you really like just whey isolates and keeping it simple? If it's like a grass fed and a good quality of whey, or uh, are you more big on the beef? Like, and obviously there's individualization. I was just curious your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, I, it, at one time I would have told people to rotate through their sources. I would have said do whey, then do goat, then do casein, then do, you know, hydrolysate and, mm -hmm. and, uh, then switch to a plant protein for a while. But honestly, again, as it comes down to what's realistic. So I think if people like something, stick with it. If they digest it well, yeah. um, if they feel like it's helping them make progress, then stick with it. Sure. You know, uh, it, yeah, in theory, it would be great for them to be rotating consistently, but but more it comes back to the simplicity of making yeah. a habit, being consistent simple's, with it. Yeah. Simple's better, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's just one less step for people to worry about. If I have a great protein powder that tastes good to me, like may not be technically the best product on the market. It may not be the most expensive. It may not be grass fed protein um, from, you know, Swedish grass fed cows. <laughs> it's like, fuck, you know, I mean, come on. You know, there's, I think generally speaking, again, most products on the market are fine. Does it fit the price point? Is it something that tastes good? And can you take it consistently? That's going to be the most important thing. So, yeah. um, Which one aside, are you taking right now? What's that? Which one do you take? 
Which protein? Yeah. Um, I am using, um, let's see, I'm using, if, if I use it, which I don't use it too often, I'll right. use the ATP beef protein. Yeah. Um, and that's simply because Robert sent me a, a bottle. <laughs> so that stuff's expensive. I yeah. also use the designs for health. Like we use the designs for health beef protein. Yeah. Uh, with our corporate wellness program, Got it. Um, that's what we were using for the smoothies. It blends up super well. It's delicious. Yeah. Um, no, just stevia is a sweetener. Right. Um, super clean. You know, good source of grass-fed uh, protein. Um, you know, if it's just like on the go, I'll use like a Dimatize ISO 100 or something like that. But but really, you know, I tend to you not do great. I tend to not do great with whey. If I use it too frequently, it tends to get me really uh, bloated. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of my essential amino acids. And, and part of why I created it uh, is is because of the digestibility and stuff like that. Right. Because, uh, yeah, we'll get into that uh, yep. here in a second. So Yeah. Uh, second to the protein, uh, creatine. Yeah. Creatine's just like, dude, for sure. Like, we have so much great research on creatine now, and it's not just the muscle building benefits. And it's creatine doesn't directly help build muscle but it helps build right. the and and recover the the energy stores that we need for power output it's yeah. like that extra short burst of, of gasoline right that that we can put in the tank and and when we can keep that uh, fueled up keep the the muscle cells and the phosphagen system fueled up with that energy then we're going to be able to do more work output in a short period of time and that in and of itself can help prove power strength and ultimately muscle building output but there's so much great research now to suggest the benefits of creatine for everyone for cardiac function for brain health specifically for tbis or traumatic brain injury um and people who have had concussions and and car accidents and stuff like that to in terms in terms of helping the cells regenerate and recover and mitochondrial function and stuff like that so i i really would creatine would would be one of those that i would recommend for everyone regardless yeah um I don't know if it would necessarily fall in my top five. Probably would at this point, um, but yeah. So creatine's a good one. And then let's see where are we at. I would say we could sort of we could talk about beta alanine and we could talk about citrulline malate. Some of the nitric oxide type stuff. Yeah, beta alanine in terms of being able to and, and both and citrulline as well as being able to yeah. kind of buffer the acid buildup. Uh, beta alanine kind of teams up with one of the essential amino acids, histidine, to form carnosine. And uh, carnosine seems to be that main acid buffer, uh, that, hydro uh, that, that, uh, that hydrogen uh, ion buffer, so that when we're strength training and we're building up lactate and we're becoming more acidic, uh, it helps buffer that, that acidosis, helps us recover faster, helps us do more work output. Same type of deal with citrulline. Citrulline helps, uh, citrulline malate specifically helps improve blood flow, uh, helps clear lactate uh, and ammonia faster in the urea cycle so that we can increase work capacity between, uh, you know, during our exercise session, we can do more work with less rest basically. Right. But it also means reduced muscle soreness. So that we're shuttling out the metabolic waste a lot quicker. And that's, you know, and, and muscle building's a long game. And so that's where some of these things can come into handy is, is when we're thinking about the long game and you've got the budget for it, then yeah, if it makes, you know, a couple percent, 5%, 2% difference, 10% difference, then why not be shuttling 
those things in, in and around your workouts, assuming you're training consistently. Yeah. Totally. Uh, let's see. Well, why don't you talk about the essential aminos? Cause I mean, honestly, that's, that's a big one for me for muscle building and, and with coaching people. So why don't you talk yeah. about it? So people need to understand the importance of protein in their diet. And as I said, essential amino acids are the building blocks of protein. You can kind of think about them as, um, as like a series of Legos stacked together, right? I've got all these Legos that are stacked together. And when we eat a protein, uh, it's broken down into, into peptides or basically little blocks of, let's say, three or four parts of Legos that are, are stacked together. Now, the essential amino acids in free form is each of these individual Lego pieces, but they're not linked to the other Legos. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there's no peptide bonds, which means that they don't require any digestion. They completely bypass the stomach. Just go right into the bloodstream. Right into the bloodstream, right yeah. to provide the raw materials for muscle building and recovery. And that's where the essential amino acids from a supplement form can come in handy. Now, most people are familiar with the branch chain amino acids. Right. That's three of the nine essential right. amino acids. And those three are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. And leucine is the big one that we know. Right, for muscle protein synthesis that helps us activate that muscle building and recovery response. And that's, so that's one of those big ones that we would get from the food that we consume and from an essential amino acid powder. Now, the reason we put together the uh, Complete Essentials, which is our, what our product is called, and the reason we opted to do all nine essential amino acids, as opposed to just the three, which most companies are doing, is because we understand the importance of getting in all of the essential amino acids. One is because people don't eat enough protein on a daily basis. Right. Uh, they just don't. And our protein needs, as I discussed earlier, are significantly increased under numerous situations, uh, whether it be uh, strength training, whether it be stress and inflammation, whether it be injury. So specifically for athletes that are needing to regenerate protein and t tissue consistently, uh, especially during times of sickness or injury. Uh, people don't understand the need for protein just to support immune system function. Mm -hmm. And so our thought process was really around how do we provide more of a complete protein as opposed to just the branch chain amino acids. Uh, and so we opted to do all nine essential amino acids so that people are getting more of a, exactly that, more of something that would be similar to eating a steak or a piece of chicken or a piece of fish so that we can help support that, that protein, total dietary protein intake. Does that make sense? Yes, and I've, I've heard it before, but you probably know exactly. What is like the conversion of how many uh, grams of essential amino acids is gonna be equivalent to a gram of protein? Um, oh, so, so I guess it depends on the source if I'm understanding you correctly, but let's just say, uh, let's say a chicken breast, let's say 30 grams of a chicken breast would equate to eight to 10 grams of the essential amino acids, Got it. Uh, like 20 gram scoop of a whey protein would be eight to 10 grams of specifically the essential amino acids. And then a, like a whey protein is going to have some non-essential amino acids as well. Right, right, right. That makes Does sense. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. Got it. So we're going directly to the source right. and some would suggest that the bioavailability, again, because it doesn't require any digestion, is it has a higher biological value. So we're going to get more bang for our buck by directly consuming 
the essential amino acids. There's no breakdown required. Therefore, we may not lose any of that, right. that value. Right. Yeah. Because that's yeah. I've heard that before too. Of like, and that's where the quality of protein sources comes into play too. Like how well you're going to absorb it. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. Because uh, I forget what the number was, but like, you know, there's you're only really getting a small percentage of those amino acids shuttled to muscle cells from whatever protein source that you're eating. Um, yeah, well, especially if, especially if your digestion sucks. Sucks, right, yeah. You have gut permeability and then all of a sudden yeah. you're not really getting much. Yeah, so if you're hypochloritic, right, we talked about a vast majority of the population is not producing enough stomach acid, they can't break down the proteins properly, so they're losing these these huge chunks of protein. Not only is it going to increase food sensitivities to these specific amino acids in the protein, but it's also going to hinder their ability to absorb the proteins uh, because they're not breaking down those peptides. And in order for it to be absorbed through the cells into the bloodstream, it needs to be in these your body's going to break it down into the freeform amino acids regardless. Um, the, the, the stronger the peptide bond versus, so that's a difference between like whey protein versus casein protein and the types of protein is different peptide bonds. Right. Uh, they're broken down in different ways, but they need to be broken down. And so if your digestion sucks, you're not going to break them down. As you get older, our protein needs uh, potentially increase, right? Um, depending on whether you're strength training or not, but through sarcopenia, through immune system dysfunction, right. our protein needs stay high, but people lose the ability to digest effectively, their HCL production goes down. Um, oftentimes you talk to older people and they say they're just not hungry, they don't care for animal protein anymore, and so it's a double-edged sword in terms of they need it more, but they're not wanting to consume it, nor can they necessarily digest it. Right, and they're so eating pumpkin pie and cheesecake instead because it sounds yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, a typical uh, American standard American diet stuff. So, yeah. so we we've realized the you know the importance, and initially it wasn't it, it was more from a a recreational training. Like, okay, if again, dude, as I keep coming back to this biggest bang for your buck, if I'm working with a client, I have an hour to an hour and a half of time to maximize our efforts, it's better for me to be giving them a product that's going to encompass three or four or five different things and and, and have them take it during that period of time yeah. than to say, okay, go home and drink a protein shake. What's the likelihood that they're actually going to do it? Right. It's a lot less than if I were to give them something on the spot and have them do it. So. That was part of the impetus for me to create the product was because I was working with a lot of clients, I was giving them a lot of different products. Uh, it obviously costs them a lot to to buy them. It costs me a lot of time and money to deal with inventorying them and selling them. Basically, long story short, is we had the opportunity to kind of sit down with, with the manufacturer, his brother-in-law, and and say, if you were to create anything, what what would it be? I said, well, you know, I'm using BCAs, I'm using essential amino acids, um, I'm using citrulline, I'm using uh, electrolytes, um, I'm tired of the price points, I'm tired of the artificial sweeteners, um, I'm tired of the, sh the flavorings uh, and, uh, and those types of things. So could we possibly take all of this and kind of put it into one? And so I kind of made a laundry list of, of right. ingredients and then we just kind of went through version after version in terms of initially it was like I want beta alanine, I want creatine. Um, and then they're like, okay, yeah, we can do it. Here's what the cost is. So I, okay, 
we can't afford that. No, no chance, no way. You know, our clients can't afford that after right. our markup. And so it just kept leveraging it down to what we thought would be a realistic product. And that's where we came up with the kind of what we have now is the complete essentials. So, you know, in addition to the essential amino acids, um, we have uh, one other non-essential amino acid, which is tyrosine. And in tyrosine, we know is one of those amino acids that can get depleted when we use too much of specifically the branch chain amino acids, which a lot of us meatheads have done over over our lifetime, right? Yeah. We've taken a ton of BCAs, and and BCAs can deplete not only tyrosine but B6. So we've got B6 and tyrosine to help improve dopamine, um, which right. is kind of a, a brain boosting neurotransmitter. Um, and it's a raw material for thyroid hormone too. I mean, it's it's important for a lot of different things. So it's important for a lot yeah. of different things, absolutely. And then, like I said, is 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 what can we put in there to help become more of like a a pre intra workout? And that's where the citrulline, similar to how I was talking about the beta alanine, the citrulline comes in handy. We've got so much good research on citrulline now. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of people are familiar with arginine as being, a, you know, a, a vasodilation, like a blood flow, a pump type ingredient, but we know the citrulline is a lot more beneficial, a lot more bioavailable because it's a precursor to arginine. And so it helps right. with blood flow, it helps with energy, it helps with driving those raw materials to the muscle cells, um, and then helping clear uh, the metabolic byproducts of exercise, so it reduces muscle soreness, all that kind of stuff. We added L-carnitine, which helps with fatty acid mobilization. Mm -hmm. So in a roundabout way, it does help burn more body fat and use more fat as energy. Right. Uh, we have electrolytes, sodium, magnesium, potassium in those good quality mineral forms, those chelated forms as we talked about. Um, and then uh, let's see, no caffeine. So we, we wanted to make sure there's a lot of people and people respond very differently. Like you were talking about the caffeine is everyone's very individualized in terms of how they metabolize caffeine. Yeah. And what I found over my career is that because it's so individualized, we all metabolize it so differently right. that – it wouldn't be right it, to put in a set dose, whether it be 100 milligrams or 200 milligrams per serving, because one of the, you know, one of the things about our product is we dose it based on body size and muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So for your average 150-pound female, they're only going to need to take two scoops before and during their workout, and that's based on what the research suggests around not only the essential amino acids, but also the citrulline and the carnitine. So they're going to be getting those therapeutic doses, right? similar to why a guy your size or my size guy who's over 200 pounds is going to be taking closer to four scoops before and during their workout so that we're getting six to eight grams of citrulline, so that we're getting two right. to four grams of, of uh, L-carnitine, so that we're getting, you know, 30 grams of the essential amino acids. Right. So in addition to no, no stimulants, um, we have no artificial sweeteners, no sucralose, no asulfame. Um, we just use stevia. And yeah. so for this one, we have a little bit of organic cane sugar that kind of helps cut the bite. Mm. As for people that aren't familiar, stevia can have a little bit of a, a bitterness to it. Mm. Um, and, and we're all very different in terms of our palate. But yeah. uh, for our next, our lemon lime that's coming out in a few months, uh, we have no sugar. We have just stevia and monk fruit. Oh, and cool. uh, so we wanted to kind of play around and try and find it, even though I don't think sugar's bad, especially in such finite amounts. Right. We still wanted to find something that was going to be non-sugar. Yeah. Uh, it's more marketable, I'm sure, too. 
Yeah, of course, and that's, yeah. that's an issue as well. And so, um, so that's our that's our complete essentials. Uh, yeah. So, the website, our so our business website is BSL Nutrition. BSL stands for Body Systems Labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's BSLNutrition.com, and then that's our content page. And then the website for the supplement is BSLNutritionShop.com. Cool. So uh, they can go over and check out uh, all of our health-related content there. We have uh, obviously articles. We have videos. We do a, uh, a weekly podcast with other health, pra- health practitioners like yourself to talk about the good, bad, and ugly within the industry. Um, and uh, ultimately, you know, we really try and our goal is to help make smart nutrition simple. Right? Yeah. And that's it's everything that I've been talking about is we yeah. want to create the longest, most realistic, uh, most realistic change for people. And, and that in order to do that, you got to break things down to simplicity. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, man. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do another one of these again in the future because it was really insightful and stuff for me, too. I love learning more about all this kind of stuff. So thanks for being Dude. on, bro. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I appreciate having me. Thank you very much for your time and uh, hope everyone enjoyed it. Talk to you later. All right, man. This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy both in and around your workouts as well as reduce muscle soreness without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape or lemon lime complete essentials.